Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Welcome to the Beetlejuice Minute, where we discuss Tim Burton's Beetlejuice minute by minute. I'm your host, Julianne Fay, actress and owner of CinemaBliss.com, and my co-host today is Barry Rathman. I am not an actress. I am more involved in the sound part of making movies. It's Wednesday, so Minute 47 is up next. This is going to be a short minute, but a fun one. This is when Adam and Barbara dig for Beetlejuice until he bursts through his casket and we see him for a split second. Who wants to start? You know, I guess I'll say one thing about this, and I'll just cut you guys off right here uh, and jump in on this, because this is, is one of those points in the movie that I've always found kind of ridiculous. Because obviously they're, they built this model, right? Which is supposed to be built out of materials like cardboard and, and, you know, glue and paper mache and whatever. And so they, they go in, they start digging out Beetlejuice. What I always, I thought was funny is, but when he does that, you can see the edge of it sort of separate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and it's like, couldn't you just shove the, I, even as a kid, I remember it was like, just put the shovel underneath that and pull up there. Why are you trying to dig through it? You're doing it the hard way. Stop doing it the hard way. There's a space right there. Stick the shovel in and pull it out. And I'm obviously, I'm guessing it's one of those things that they got a few takes and they're like, yeah, close enough for rock and roll, let's move on, you know? Well, something else that begs a little bit of a, huh, is, okay, so they're shrunken into this model, right? All this stuff is, is model bits and pieces that they're digging through. How tiny is that fragile logo? Yes, exactly. (laughs) And the other thing I like, too, is that once they've dug the hole, once they've dug that hole, uh, and they're standing basically on the casket, you can clearly see that they made an effort, you know, to make it look like they've dug through a layer of cardboard as it would appear Mm -hmm. if you were that small, right? You can see Mm -hmm. it. But they keep digging up tiny, tiny pieces of actual cardboard. So, <laughs> but they use just ripped up chunks of cardboard, like, like I said, with a fragile on it. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's almost blatantly like, we don't really care. It's not important. You know, right. like, good enough. Cause you can see some of it is just, you know, packing material and like, you know, the, the grass uh, is just like off the shelf you know, egg carton kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's something kind of awesome about that, too, because, again, it does that. I keep coming back to the idea of Ed Wood. Uh, is like it's, it's like, you know, close enough for rock and roll, good enough. It, uh, who cares? We'll fix it in post. It doesn't matter. It's not important to what's happening right now. You have enough. We don't need to be that meticulous about it. This isn't, you know, um, a representation of a the Civil War or something where everything really needs to be authentic. It's, you know, there are, there are two ghosts on a model digging up a bio-exorcist in a, ridiculous, <laughs> a ridiculously awesome Tim Burton movie. So who cares? You know, it's like, uh, who cares? Uh, and that's what I always loved about it. It's just, it looks like cheap, but not in a, in, a, in a fun, cool way. Well, it'd be weird in real life, of course, but it's totally correct. It makes perfect sense in the story. And maybe they just ran out of, quote unquote, dirt. And so they were like, oh, we need more dirt. And that's how Fragile got in there. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And they just more. rip it, rip it. <laughs> and if it was George Lucas who made this movie, he would have removed that years ago. 
<laughs> Everything oh, would have been in green screen bing. anyway. That's right. Well, it kind of kind of brings something to mind. Do, do you think movies nowadays are so caught up in all the detail, meticulous things that it's like, yes, this is a wonderful world, and then you just kind of lose that imaginative spark of, hey, let's pull things off the shelf and, and reuse them to make them cool? I mean, it just seems like nowadays every... Kind of like you said, you know, with the Civil War thing, everyone's so meticulous, but it, it kind of loses a bit of the fun, maybe, of 80s and early 90s movies. I have a comment on that, by the way. I, I, I do, too, but Julie, go ahead. I'll, I'll give my two cents after yours. I think this is funny coming from the fact that I know that Barry's father noticed that the stars were incorrect over Titanic. It was like the stars need to be fixed because that's not correct nautically. So the problem is, is audiences expect things to be so meticulous now. Um, although I'm not one of them. I'm, if I really enjoy what I'm watching, I'm not looking for, you know, the North Star or Fragile on my cardboard. <laughs> Your cardboard dirt. Yeah. yeah. The Constellation <laughs> example, I think that's a bit extreme. More, more so like Pearl Harbor noticing that the ships that the Japanese were bombing were like modern day destroyers. Yeah, that's more of his kind of. I mean, yeah, the stars, that that's, that's a little too meticulous. <laughs> but knowing James Cameron, it's 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 kind of surprising that he would have gotten it wrong. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson hit, uh, nailed him on it, too. And uh, James Cameron's response was, how much more money do you think we would have made if they were right? <laughs> exactly. Ooh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> burn, I love it. Michael Bay reuses shots like, completely reusing stuff because it doesn't matter right well, if the story is good if you're like in the story then it doesn't matter well i think i think some of it is honestly and i think this is what uh drew me to tim burton a little bit but then also uh, you know for what i do also uh as a you know person who makes these tribute movies to those cheesy movies of the 50s is that there's something about sort of willful denial of reality that sometimes that is a little more fun than I don't know it's like it's like seeing a play you know you see a play and it's a it's a stage these are people playing roles and you know that and and you go into it sort of letting your imagination fill in the blanks by doing that I think you don't have to worry about it gives you less to worry about less detail to take in and so you can maybe focus a little more and you're like yeah okay uh in these movies I know that you know, say, take an old old movie where there's like a, or an old Star Trek where it's like, yeah, that boulder's paper mache, but it doesn't matter because it's less sort of realistic detail that you need to worry about. You know, I kind of do that a little bit with my own stuff, too, is just like, good enough, uh, it doesn't need to be perfect, and I think it would lose something if it is too perfect because it becomes hyper-real to the point that I think it almost makes you more of a, a passive observer uh, as opposed to someone who's kind of caught up in filling in the blanks with your imagination and thus sort of pulling you in because you become a little more of a quote-unquote active observer, maybe. Oh, I mean, just that, yeah, that's that's the point, uh, is that I think it allows you to suck yourself into this thing and be like, okay, yeah, I get that that's fake, and I it, it doesn't matter because uh, this is why in my head. it's You know, you don't necessarily, whereas nowadays with CGI, you can do, everything so you can create these hyper realistic uber detailed worlds you know all we have to do as movie goers now is just kind of you know zone out and 
let it wash over you as opposed to where before you almost had to say to yourself, yes, I know that boulder is made out of styrofoam. Doesn't matter. It's a boulder. Dang it. It's a boulder. (laughs) I have two thoughts on that. Um, One, going back to your theater example, theater, theater, theater example. They make fun of me. (laughs) Several people make fun of me for saying theater. I'm trying to correct that. Uh, (laughs) But I have heard it said a couple of times that sometimes when you get too real on stage, for example, if someone lights something on fire, lights a candle or just lights fire at all. I hear fire is a good idea in a theater. Um, Well, (laughs) some people get it makes people nervous because they're like, oh, okay, because, you know, they realize they're in a trapped enclosed space, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And it actually pulls away from the imagina- imaginary scene that you've set because now people are a little bit on edge. So therefore, you know, obviously, sometimes it really does pay to not get that hyper real when you're in the theater. But going into what you were saying with film and using your imagination to fill in the blanks and work, work your way through stuff, pull yourself into the story, rather. Um, there's another story. And I wish I could remember the name of the actress. They weren't quite sure how to end a scene. It's a very famous actress, someone like Ingrid Bergman or somebody. Uh, maybe Barry, your mother might know since she knows some of these, you know, old classic movie stars. Um, they weren't quite sure how to end a particular scene. It seemed like the last line of dialogue just wasn't working. I think it was after someone had died on a ship, maybe, or something, or or someone had just passed away. But instead, he had the actress walk to the end of a pier and look out over the water in total silence. And it was a huge hit. And afterwards, when they, you know, people were discussing the ending, they'd be like, she was so vulnerable at the end after such and such happened. And other people like, she showed such strength at the end after going through that turmoil. So all the audience members had filled in the blanks with the way they wanted it to end. Exactly. And it was brilliant. Everyone loved the ending. (laughs) About the whole trusting your audience, I was just listening to a whole podcast about Lucio Fulci's The Beyond, and that movie doesn't really explain anything. I mean, it doesn't help that it was filmed in Italian and then redubbed in English badly. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of movies nowadays that that trust the audience to fill in their own endings, almost. You know, we, we can't... We can't put ourselves in the character's mindset anymore. We're constantly told how they're feeling through various maids. So, yeah, it does kind of, with the whole active passive participation, it definitely feels like there's been a shift towards that passive watching. Well, I think that you can probably make uh, a few comments about the uh, us as people in this day and age where everything is automated. Why not automate your imagination, too? You know, I mean, it's like, why not just do everything for everybody and everyone can just sit back and, and have it done for you. You get all the answers. You don't have to try. You don't have to put forth some effort. You don't even have to care. I mean, you just have to sit there and let it happen. Uh, and it's oh, like, Michael. it's but like, we wouldn't you know, have movies it's like Beetlejuice and we wouldn't have movies like, you know, Attack of the Moon Zombies or. Well, I'll say this. Uh, <laughs> no, we wouldn't have uh, a movie like Beetlejuice. Can you think of any other movie that has come out in the last 20 years that even holds a candle to it? I can't. I can't think of anything as unique or as sort of special as Beetlejuice was because even Tim Burton now can't make stuff. I mean, he just does not fit with modern Hollywood. I mean, they try, you know, sticking him in Alice in Wonderland, these things that seems like it'd be tailor-made for him, mm-hmm. but it it doesn't work because it's just not the I, – and that's the thing about, about 
modern Tim Burton films that I feel like it's it's lost some sort of weird it's lost the quirk and I think this right here this little tiny minute within Beetlejuice explains exactly what was so perfect about Tim Burton's sort of sensibilities then compared to how he would never get away with this now I, I don't think I don't think Hollywood would necessarily let him See, you are you're preaching to the choir because I remember asking something like this in, in an earlier minute where I was like, do you think this movie would get made today? Just reading the script and, you know, because uh, it's just wildly creative and it's one of his earlier films. So right. they, they let him loose with it. It's pretty much his first. I mean, he did Pee Wee, but Pee Wee had already kind of been established. So this is like his first go of it, really. Yeah, they just let him go wild with it, and uh, how wonderful is it? We're still talking about it 20 years later. And making a podcast about every minute. <laughs> Actually, uh, uh, I believe it's 30 years later, isn't it? Yes, oh, it is 30. I think we've corrected her before as well. Uh, I'm not that old! I'm not 30 yet! It's impossible! <laughs> you know, it's funny, um, and I suppose there's not much more to talk about in this minute, but I do want to... Uh, Bring up one more thing because we talked about fire in a theater. A couple minutes ago uh, with the Monday one, we talked about the film Waiting for Guffman. Right? I brought that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there is a great gag in that movie where the, the sort of city council of the town that they're in is trying to um, recruit Christopher Guest's character to put on their play. Right. And right. they're going through some examples of his previous work. And one of them that they, they they use and they show pictures from and this whole thing is Backdraft, the musical, <laughs> I think. Uh, oh, my gosh. And it's literally about firefighters, right? So it's about fire in a theater. And they mention sp- something specific. And I always thought it was the funniest thing, and I don't know if any other people thought it was funny as I do, but they talk about the way they created the drama is they took newspapers and they lit them on fire and and sent the embers into the theater through the ventilation. Oh, oh my gosh. So that people could really feel the heat. And I always thought that was so ridiculous. It's like literally you're taking fire, you know, call yelling fire in a theater uh, and making a play out of it. Is what you're saying. <laughs> well, I think I think wow. one of our one of our earlier guest commentators could provide a voice for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing uh, that I had. I like to think Barbara's making a joke to Adam when she asks if we should knock first. Oh, I think she's too adorable and innocent to be making a joke. I think she seriously was going to ask. No, no, no. She's so innocent. Well, no, I no, I think I think it's a, it's a play on when Adam drew the door and he was like, "Why is it working? <laughs> oh, I have to knock." I think I think she's ribbing Adam a little bit on this one. Just just look at the like the way she says it. She's almost kind of smiling. He's smiling too. So I, I think she's she's doing a little ribbing. Not you know, it's not like a nasty. Just like a, oh, you think we should knock first on this one too? Yes, my note was: it, is Barbara adorable or what when she asks? I think it maybe goes both ways. I think that she's giving him sort of some light crap, you know, and just like, hey, should we knock first? But I, I'm thinking her character being who she is, she's probably honestly like, would it be polite to knock? Should we knock? Maybe we should knock. <laughs> You know, because she doesn't want to necessarily be impolite. Um, but at the same time, she's kind of, you know, giving her husband some crap. <laughs> well, on that note, I do have one last note of my own. Uh, this is minute 47. 
we have seen little snippets of Beetlejuice from behind. We've seen a snippet of Beetlejuice third hand or once removed, I should say, inside a, a TV commercial kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, so this is a little bit like Jaws where you don't see the shark for, you know, half the movie because it's only a 90 something minute movie. And um, we see him for half a second in minute 47 and we will finally get to see the title character. Tomorrow on the Beetlejuice Minute for a minute number 48. So you guys, join us tomorrow. Definitely. That's all I got for now. Bye. Bye. Until next time, save us some popcorn and we'll see you soon at the Beetlejuice Minute.